Hi friends, this is Caitlin Matchy, and I would like to welcome you to The Thought Maze. Thanks so much for joining us today. Today's episode of The Thought Maze is very important to me because it's time for another survivor story. I will go ahead and give a trigger warning for abuse and traumatic situations, but if you've been listening to my podcast at all, that shouldn't be a surprise. You may hear some random dog noises as well because there is a dog nearby who loves to sing. I have someone very special on today's episode of Survivor Stories, my very best friend, Shirley Quarles. Hi, Shirley. Hi. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm good. Well, thank you so much for coming on this week. And I guess let's start with, tell me your Survivor Story. I want to start with an excerpt from a book that I read years ago. Reading this one section was like a punch to the gut. I can't even begin to put into words all the emotions that hit me at once as I read this. In fact, I think I read it about four or five times to let it sink in that this was actually what was written. You see, the words that I am about to share with you felt to me as if someone had been present in my childhood that I couldn't see and that they shared with the world what I had experienced. This is from the book Girls with Swords by Lisa Bevere. Maybe someone rode the dragon's wings in the night and came to you in the dark and touched you in places and ways that made you feel ashamed and dirty. Maybe as a serpent of shame slithered away, he hissed, you asked for this, you wanted this, you are the one that made me do this. Lisa's words here are my very story. I was ashamed, I felt dirty, and I was certain it was all my fault. By the time I was a freshman in high school, I had been molested by three different men who were supposed to have held the role as protectors in my life. I am not sure how young I was when it began, but I was first molested by my father, whom we left when I was four years old. From ages four to eight, I was molested by my uncle. My mom remarried and we moved in with my stepfather, who molested me from ages nine to twelve. It was early on during this time that I began wishing that someone would just assign me to one man so that at least I wouldn't have the shame of multiple men doing these things to me. After that relationship ended, we moved back to my grandparents' home where the molestation from my uncle resumed from the age of 13 until we moved out during my freshman year. I was 14 when we left. After the sexual abuse ended, the mental and emotional abuse began. Alcoholism had taken over our home. I stepped into my sophomore year of high school, having already been told that I was ugly, that it was obvious by looking at me why I was single, and that I was the lowest form of life that would never be able to satisfy any man. As a young adult, I went out into the world with a very warped view of what love was. I thought I was worthless, that I was only good for sex, and that there was something seriously wrong with me that caused others to treat me the way that they had. I grieve for that young girl that I once was who believed those horrible things to be true. So can you share your journey of healing and recovery since you experienced your abuse? When I was a child, I didn't share my story with anyone because I was ashamed and I thought it was all my fault. I was never threatened to keep quiet. I just did. I remember times that I would just start crying uncontrollably, but would have no idea why I was crying. As an adult, I now understand that everything that I faced as a child was too big for me to be able to process. After I graduated high school, I began telling some of my close friends about what I experienced growing up, but I would just say it matter-of-factly and then move on to another topic. At this point, I wasn't sharing how the abuse had affected me as an adult because I was ashamed of myself. By this time, I had given my life to Christ but still felt like I had no value. 
I've spent a lot of my life admiring things about other women and wishing I could be more like them. I thought I was beneath them. In fact, I wished I could be almost anyone other than who I was. I had come to the conclusion that I was a good person because I knew I truly did care for others, but that my appearance had to have been the cause of my mistreatment. I started searching in the Bible for what God says of his creation. My perception of myself was more like that of a dung beetle. I felt as if everyone was able to see my lack just by looking at me. It was as if my insecurity, shame, guilt, hurt, and whatever in the world was wrong with me were rolled up in a huge ball and that I pushed the waste of my life around everywhere I went and that it was on display for the world to see. I began meditating on who the Bible says I am. I pressed past the belief that those things were true of everyone else and continued scouring those verses until I started to believe those words were also true of me. Occasionally, I would tell someone that I wanted to use what had happened to me to help others, but I realized that it was impossible unless I were brave enough to stand up and tell my story. The first time I did this, I felt as if I had been thrown back into my childhood. I began having nightmares, and the things that were said and done to me and those that I did invaded nearly every thought I had. However, the more open I became about my story, the freer I began to feel. It was as if I were standing up and declaring, those things that happened to me were not my fault and they were not okay. I felt like I was standing up for the broken little girl that resided within me, that I was providing her with strength, security, and the love that she'd so desperately sought. What coping mechanisms or support systems have been crucial for you in overcoming the challenges of abuse? One of the best things I have ever done for myself is to tell my story. It shines a light on the dark places and the shame that I once felt. I remember one time in Celebrate Recovery meeting, I briefly told my story because we had some new members that had never heard it before, and one of the women exclaimed, Oh, thank God. She immediately apologized and explained that she wasn't happy that those things had happened to me, but I knew that she was thankful that she had just encountered someone who completely understood what she had gone through, how it affected her, and that she wasn't alone. There is such a social stigma regarding sexual abuse that leaves most people feeling ashamed, so they bury it and pretend like it never happened to them. I have always been able to find the bright side of things. If there isn't a positive side to a certain situation, I look for things that make me smile or feel happy or grateful and focus on them. Being bold enough to speak my truth and showing that others who have had similar experiences are not alone helps me tremendously because it turns the ashes of my past into something beautiful. It allows me to relate them in a way that others simply cannot. It breaks through all those layers of shame and says to another person, it wasn't your fault. You are not alone. I understand and I am here. How did your experiences shape your perspective on relationships and trust? Learning at an early age that my thoughts and opinions didn't matter and that even my body wasn't my own, I became a people pleaser. I rarely said no to anyone avoid a conflict in any form, and felt physically ill when I let someone down. I had a strong urge to please others, even at my own expense. I allowed myself to be taken advantage of repeatedly. I expected myself to be perfect and to never make a mistake. I was a doormat. I over-apologized because I wanted everyone to like me, and I craved validation. I allowed myself to be repeatedly used in every relationship I encountered. Thankfully, I had several friends that never treated me poorly, but I was cheated on in nearly every romantic relationship. I am currently on my third and final marriage. On my first date with my first husband, Maurice, he told me that he loved me. 
I was shocked and spent the entire day at that amusement park trying to convince myself that I felt the same way. We'd only known each other a few days, but he seemingly was offering me the love that I so desperately craved. And by the end of that day, I had myself convinced that I was madly in love with this person. We were both in the military and he was stationed on a base near mine, but was only there for training and transferred to another base about five to six hours away shortly after we became an item. I traveled to see him every weekend and we got married even though we lived apart. A few days after saying I do, I found out that I was pregnant with my son, Kevin. I thought I was finally valued and loved until it was revealed that he has slept around a lot with other women, both before we were married and after. He even moved his ex-girlfriend in with him and I stayed with him when I went to visit him, but I was convinced that he was being true to me and that she only lived with him because of their daughter. This was because of the way he treated me and spoke to her when I was there. When my son was three months old, my husband was in a car wreck and in a coma for about six months. He never walked or talked again. Knowing that he had not been faithful to me, I felt I needed to try to be transferred to his base because I was his wife and needed to be there to take care of him. However, when his family rejected me, I chose to go back home to my base with Kevin. His mom paid for our divorce and moved her son to a nursing home near her, where he passed away from pneumonia less than three years later. Two years after Maurice passed, I met Joel on eHarmony. I had been against online dating, but chose to join the site anyway. Since most men seemed to decide my worthiness based on my appearance, I deliberately did not add my picture to my profile. Joel seemed to have fallen completely in love with who I am as a person. I was certain that this time I was seen valued and loved. It was during my marriage to him that I began focusing on who God says I am and when I started sharing my story in front of others. I stepped into this relationship wanting to heal the broken little boy in him as he stated that he struggled with depression. I went out of my way to be the perfect wife, but never quite measured up to his expectations of me. Because I struggled to see any value in myself, I took the blame for this upon myself and began wishing that I could be programmed like a Stepford wife to be exactly what he wanted. For 14 years, I tried so hard to make it work, but towards the end, I started to finally see my value and realized that I was being verbally and emotionally abused, and I asked him to leave. Are there any specific moments or realizations that marked turning points in your healing process? There were quite a few specific moments that I can pinpoint along the way. Sharing my story and realizing that I was not alone. Seeing worth in myself by meditating on Bible verses. Reading the book Boundaries by Cloud and Townsend. Before reading this book, I had no idea what boundaries were, since I was taught at a very young age that even my own body was not a boundary that was worthy of being respected. Taking the strength finders test and learning that I scored highest in empathy, which I had never heard of. Up until this point in my life, I chastised myself for not being strong enough to have and maintain my own emotions instead of taking on those of someone else. The next couple of moments occurred in a class I was taking at my last job. We were told to create a vision board that we would be explaining to our class once finished. For those that may not know, a vision board is usually a collage of images that represent your goals and dreams. This project caused me to look deeply inside of myself and determine what those were. Because my goals and dreams never mattered to anyone else, it was a very frightening and difficult process for me. Once I started identifying what those goals and dreams were, I started to feel excited for the first time and my value and my purpose in this world. 
However, as I started cutting out images and pasting them to my board, I was filled with such a deep sadness and shame because I knew I would never accomplish any of them. This is because my life revolved around making my husband happy and desperately trying to be whatever it was that he wanted me to be. Anytime I allowed any aspect of myself to shine through or I just didn't say or do what he expected at any given moment, I was greeted with a days of silence treatment. It usually lasted for about three or four days. I had realized that my life's deepest desire was to uplift and encourage other women, but Joel felt that I shouldn't need anyone other than him and relayed that I was a horrible wife for needing relationships with other women. I knew that there was zero chance of me helping anyone when it was deeply frowned upon for me to spend time with anyone other than him. In a class shortly after the vision board presentation, we had a unit on deciding to stop giving our power away. It was during this unit that I realized that I was living my entire life based on someone else's whims. This was when I took that first shaky step in telling him that I wanted him to leave. Early that same year, before I asked him to leave, I told him that I wanted to start going to counseling. My hope was that we would both go solo for a bit because we had issues from our childhoods that we needed to be worked out first. Then I wanted us to go as a couple and then as a family. He refused to go by himself and only went with me a few times before declaring that he would never go back to see the counselor. However, I continued seeing my therapist long after he stopped going. One of the things that we worked on together was me finding my voice and to stop being a people pleaser. This was the first step in standing up for myself, although it made our marriage so much worse because I dared to share how I was feeling. After Joel moved out, I second-guessed everything I said and had done in our marriage and every decision I had made in my entire life. I felt like such a failure. However, another turning point occurred the day I chose to Google, can a narcissist be down on himself? I had dismissed any idea that he might have been one because everything that I had heard said that narcissists thought very highly of themselves. This is when I stumbled upon the relationship between a covert narcissist and an empath and felt sick to my stomach. Reading those articles felt like I was seeing my entire marriage play out before my eyes. I realized that it was all a game to him, that he never truly loved me, and that I was always going to be set up to be the bad person and take the blame. It was all deliberate and meant to completely break down what little self-esteem I had. This was where I learned about love bombing, gaslighting, manipulation, and triangulation. What advice do you have for others who may be experiencing currently or have experienced similar situations? Cling to the truth that it wasn't your fault, that you aren't damaged, and that you aren't alone. Seek counseling and speak your truth. In what ways do you think society can better support survivors of abuse? Learning the signs of abuse in young children. When I was in fourth grade, I wrote a story about myself and my boyfriend at the time. I loved to write growing up, and I happily shared my story with my friends for them to read. I am mortified to think of what I wrote because my teacher confiscated it, and I was spanked for whatever it was I said. I will never understand why they didn't investigate why a nine-year-old would have written whatever horrific things my story must have said. Also, stop shaming survivors for being brave enough to share their stories. When I took that step, I was accused of lying, of being brainwashed, and chastised for daring to make such accusations against someone. How has everything you've experienced influenced your self-esteem and your self-image? 
I felt like I had no value and no right to express my desires, concerns, feelings, or dreams. I was convinced that there was something wrong with me and that everyone could see it. I know you kind of talked about going to therapy previously, but have you found any therapeutic practices or activities particularly helpful in your healing journey? Other than what I've already mentioned, the most helpful practice that I have now is to stop when I have a negative thought about myself and replace it with what I know to be true. Also, I've always been a pretty positive person despite all the trauma I've experienced. Because of this, I am able to focus on what I am grateful for when life feels a bit overwhelming. How do you navigate triggers or difficult moments that may arise in day-to-day life? I take regular inventory of myself, my thoughts, my feelings, and my actions and determine what is motivating me in each of those moments. If it's trauma-based, I work my way through it on my own. But if it's a legitimate concern or hurt, I am no longer silent about it, but have learned to convey those feelings in a healthy way. Can you share any positive aspects or personal growth that you've experienced as a result of overcoming the challenges of abuse? I am an extremely empathetic person and able to place myself in other shoes and consider how they might feel and how those feelings could affect their actions. I never want someone to feel as if they're alone or they don't matter because I know how that feels. While I dislike disappointing anyone, I am no longer a people pleaser. I have learned that my feelings, thoughts, hopes, and dreams do matter and that there is also going to be someone that has the potential to be upset no matter what you do or say. Also, I am now married to a wonderful man who adores me just as I am. He allows me to be free to be exactly who I am and I can openly share my feelings and thoughts with him. And I can attest that her current husband is incredible. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. And it was incredibly inspiring. And I think it's going to help so many people to listen to all the things that you've gone through and what you've overcome. I really hope so. Thank you so much for coming on with me this week. I guess we'll wrap up this episode of The Thought Maze uh, and Survivor Stories. And I'm just going to wrap up this episode with a quote by Abertoli that Shirley picked out herself. Take your time healing as long as you want. Nobody else knows what you've been through. How could they know how long it will take to heal you? Thank you so much, my friends, for joining this week. And I'll look forward to talking to you next week on The Thought Maze. and produced by Caitlin Matchy. Please remember if you have an immediate mental health need, the mental health hotline is available anytime. Please call or text 988.